Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is the Week in Doubt episode, uh, I'll call it 233. I won't count my recent book reading and the Easter repeat among the numbered episodes. Before we start, I'd like to give John Dalton a shout out for liking the Week in Doubt Facebook page. Thanks, John. Much appreciated. Also, it had been a while since I checked on the iTunes ratings. I was pleasantly surprised to see that the show is still holding strong at about four and three quarter stars out of five, and that there were a few new reviews. I thought it'd be cool to read them on the air, so here we go. And this is a pre-recorded podcast, so I'm not sure that on the air is the proper term to use, but you get my point. So anyway, first up, and I know I'm going to butcher this person's iTunes handle, and I apologize in advance. It looks like Hapu, H-A-U-U-P-U, I believe. They gave me uh, five stars, and this was on April 9th, 2017. Thank you for exposing religion for the hypocrites they are. When more people are enlightened, we will all be free. Then we will treat each other with the humanity we each can enjoy. The weak in doubt is the light, the way, and the truth. I'm trying. It is so pleasing to listen to. Keep up the good work, Phil. Hawaiian logic somewhere in the Pacific. Uh, Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the kind words. And I hope in my own little way I am helping to spread the light of reason and promoting a basic sense of decency and uh, humanistic values, hopefully. And next up, we have Scott Sikora, the Beardcaster. We kind of became fast online friends when, back around the time of the holidays, he asked me if it was all right to use audio from my Krampus documentary in a special he was doing on Krampus. And I was like, all right, go for it, man. No problem. And uh, I I started to listen to his podcast. Uh, He's been listening to my podcast. And we've been kind of uh, giving each other moral support online. And um, just a a great, friendly guy. And I recently reviewed his podcast, uh, too, on iTunes. And you should check it out. Uh, Once again, it's called The Beardcaster. It's a professional-sounding podcast, and Scott does these really interesting interviews. Definitely worth checking out. But anyway, here's what Scott had to say, and he entitled his review, Quick and Enjoyable, uh, Five Stars. And this is also dated uh, to April 9th, 2017. This is a great little podcast that gets in and out and gets to, uh, my mind automatically went to a dirty place, and gets to really think. Maybe it gets you to really think. Phil has a relatable outlook on life and religion and provides some thoughtful commentary on his beliefs. I also enjoy his episodes where he digs into old folklore and provides some great historical data. Keep up the great work, the Beardcaster. Uh, Once again, thank you, Scott. That's awesome. And I do like making those little audio documentaries that focus on things like Scott said, uh, topics from folklore or the history of the holidays or the religion of the Founding Fathers, etc. Not only because those are topics that I'm interested in myself, but also because it gives me a chance to change things up a bit and offer content that might have a broader appeal. Um, Not everyone might want to listen to my atheist musings (laughs) every week, but there might be some people who want to stop in and enjoy one of my documentaries here and there, even if they're not hardcore atheists. Uh, I'd like to think that my documentary episodes are pretty objective, 
and that they're not colored by any sort of personal bias or agenda. When I do a documentary special on Krampus or the history of Christmas, it's not because I'm trying to deconvert Christians by shining a light on the pagan origins of certain traditions. It's more that I'm just sincerely interested in the subject matter. In fact, I've yet to get around to it, but for a long time now, I've wanted to start a second podcast on the side that is all about mythology and focuses on a different myth from around the world each week. I think that would be pretty cool. One of these days, I will do that. I promise. Okay, so we have one more, and uh, this one's from CliffJumper76. And this, this review is entitled, Restores My Faith, in quotation marks, in humanity. Five stars. This one's from uh, January 7th. I found this podcast very recently, shortly after the 2016 election. I was in a very bad way psychologically and felt that logic and skepticism had perished from our fair country. Doubt is a quality that I think is our most useful and laudable human trait. I could be wrong about that. So when I saw the title of this podcast, I thought that I could find some of what I felt so deprived of at that time. Man, was I right. Phil is a smart, reasoned, methodical, and very funny guy. I've listened to all the new podcasts as they come out and caught up on most of the back episodes as well. I have recommended The Weekend Out to all of my friends and to strangers on the street. I definitely recommend it to anyone who is looking for clear and measured infotainment regarding current events and matters of quote-unquote belief. One more thing I have to say, I'm always blown away by the amount of research Phil does for each podcast. Truly awesome that he can pack that much depth of knowledge about so many things, the Exorcist, Krampus, Mitt Romney, etc., into a 30-ish minute segment week after week. Well, uh, thank you, Cliffjumper76. Uh, I'm always blown away and humbled by these reviews, and uh, I apologize if I was a little late in discovering this most recent batch. As I was saying, it had been a while since I had checked in on iTunes to see how the show was doing there. But once again, much appreciated, and not trying to sound corny, but this is the kind of stuff that really keeps me going. When people let me know they appreciate the show, and, and that there's people actually listening out there. And I'm not like, uh, what's that character from the Martin Scorsese movie starring, well, I was about to say starring Robert De Niro. Yeah, that narrows it down. Um, the, I think it's called uh, The King of Comedy, Rupert Pupkin. Uh, he hosts a show down in his mother's basement or something like that and talks to cardboard cutouts. It's good to know that I have an actual audience. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, you know, it means a lot. And just to clarify, I am not broadcasting this show from down in a family member's basement. Okay, so I might as well do a quick news story. So I found this one really interesting. It's from Patheo, specifically from Hemant Mehta's uh, Friendly Atheist channel. It's, it's from April 14th, and it's entitled, Researchers Say a Quarter of Americans May Be Atheists Higher Than Any Survey Has Ever Suggested. 
How many atheists are in the U.S.? The most comprehensive numbers we've seen on the matter come from the Pew Research Center's Religious Landscape Survey, which puts atheists at 3.1% of the population. Don't get that confused with the ever-growing 22.8% of Americans who have no religious affiliation at all. Many of them still believe in a higher power. If you assume there are 324 million people in the country, we're talking about more than 10 million atheists, but there's always been reason to doubt that number. You have to assume there are people who don't believe in God yet still consider themselves some variety of Christian because it's the religion in which they were raised. There are also people who consider quote-unquote atheist a dirty word even if it's accurate, so they don't use that label. In fact, when Gallup asked people in 2016 if they believed in God, 9% of Americans said no. That's a huge leap from the Pew finding and it might have happened because the word quote-unquote atheist wasn't mentioned in the question. It also doesn't matter if the survey is done on a computer where no one's judging you. Signing off on the A word has always involved hesitation. No matter how you parse it, there's reason to think the percentage of atheists has always been underestimated. The question is whether there's any way to get to a more honest answer. That's what University of Kentucky psychologists Will Gervais and Maxine Najil, I'm probably butchering both of those uh, those last names. Is that like Ricky Gervais? The uh, Maxine's last name, like I'm on a first name basis with her, is N-A-J-L-E. Set out to find... <clears throat> yeah, they, the, the psychologist set out to find before they threw the crazy names at me. Set out to find, and their results are awaiting publication in, in the journal Social, Psychological, and Personality Science. Vox's Brian Resnick has an excellent rundown of the paper. It's a bit ingenious how Gervais and 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 A J L E set out to find people who might not otherwise admit they're atheists. Skipping over a lot of the details here, they essentially ask people to look at a list of items like I exercise regularly, I eat meat, and answer how many of those items are true. Then they asked a comparable group of people to do the same thing, but they added one more item to the list. I do not believe in God. If all went according to plan, the increase in the average number of true statements would give us some insight into how many people didn't believe in God. And this time, because that statement about God didn't stand alone, maybe more people would be willing to tell the truth. Just for good measure, they ran the same experiment with one more group. But instead of asking an additional question about not believing in God, which could go either way, they asked a question about 2 plus 2 being greater than 13 that everyone should have known was false. The wording was awkward, but that's another story. And uh, here they go into the results. Based on our results, we can state with around 99% certainty that more than 11% of Americans are atheists, as per Gallup's estimate, and with around 93% certainty that more than 17% of Americans are atheists, our self-report estimate. These indirect measures suggest that roughly 1 in 4, 26% American adults may be atheists, 2.4 to 8.7 times as many as telephone polls, Gallup 2015, Pew 2015 suggest. This implies the existence of potentially more than 80 million American atheists. The disparity between self-report and indirectly measured atheism rates underscores the potent stigma faced by atheists, as even in an anonymous online survey, about a third of American atheists may be affected quote-unquote closeted, even in anonymous telephone polls. And it really is a sad statement that people who are atheists 
are still in this day and age where, you know, Christians complain about society becoming too secular, where we're still made to feel kind of guilty, like we're the bad guys for being atheists. And um, a lot of people, including myself sometimes, are even self-conscious about using the word. And it's a word that really has become demonized. And as I've joked on the show before, or said half-jokingly, you know, if you voiced your worldview to someone, maybe over a few drinks in the wee hours at a party, you know, having some deep conversation, but you left out the word atheist, you just said, you know, as far as I can tell, religions are made up, you know, they all appear to be man-made I don't see any proof that any of them are right. I don't think there's any hard evidence for things like ghosts or spirits. I don't really think you go anywhere, you know, when you die. I don't really see the evidence for it. Um, a lot of people might actually agree with you and think that those are pretty rational viewpoints or that's a rational way to look at things. But when you use the word atheist, you know, it's, it's, it's a word that really is demonized or, or has been demonized and has been unjustifiably burdened, in my opinion, with this kind of negative connotation. And I'm reminded of this anecdote that Richard Dawkins likes to repeat. Um, I think according to him, it comes from one of Julia Sweeney's autobiographical books. Uh, Julia Sweeney was a cast member of Saturday Night Live. Uh, she, she's an actress, a comedian. And she tells this story about how when she came out as an atheist to her mother, her mother said, I don't care if you don't believe in God, but an atheist? <laughs> and I think that's how a lot of people are. If you kind of, you know, just just said in other terms that, yeah, religions seem made up. Uh, I'm not sure we go anywhere when we die, you know. Um, there might be people who don't share that view, who either through coming to their own conclusions or simply because they want to believe otherwise because that conclusion to them is just too depressing to live with, no matter how uh, sober or rational it may seem. Uh, they might not agree with you. They might have some vague sense of a higher power or something, but they might think, you know, okay, yeah, I could see why someone would think that. that that's a pretty rational worldview when you look at the evidence or lack thereof. I, I can see why people would have their doubts. But if you use that word atheist, suddenly, you know, you're the figure in all black twirling your mustache, you know, with like a big scarlet A on your chest or something. And uh, a lot of people, not just because they feel self-conscious about the word because they think it's been demonized, but a lot of even high profile quote unquote atheists take issue with the word because they think it's kind of too constricting or it's too open to misinterpretation. Like I, I think many people who take issue with atheists have this image in their head or they have this idea that an atheist is this stuffy, grumpy curmudgeon who also probably, probably someone they think is probably also very arrogant, who is so conceited they claim to know with 100% certainty that there is no God, you know, where that isn't the case. Um, Penn Jillette talked about this in his, what was the name of his book? Was it God No or something like that? Talked about the overlap 
between agnosticism and atheism. And how many of us, including myself, if I'm backed into a corner and someone really wants me to pick a label, I will technically refer to myself as a agnostic atheist. Agnostic because I don't believe we can prove one way or another definitively whether a god or an afterlife does exist. Atheistic because due to the lack of evidence, I strongly doubt the existence of an afterlife or a creator deity. Um, and my atheism gets stronger when we go into the terrain of organized religion and its dogmatic faith claims. Um, I think even Victor Stenger, in a debate I watched with him, said uh, that even he's agnostic on the deist, the existence of the deist God. In the deist, many of the founding fathers were deists. And a deist is someone who believes in a creator who kind of, you know, brought this kind of clockwork universe into being, kickstarted it, and then took a step back and doesn't really interfere in things. Um, it's funny because a, a lot of people on the far right like to paint the founding fathers as the super religious, super Christian figures. When many of the founding fathers were the scientifically minded men with enlightenment values who at best were deists. And even um, Thomas Jefferson famously created what has come to be known as the Jefferson Bible, where he literally took a razor to the Bible and cut out most of the miraculous bits. Um, so uh, even Victor Stenger said, you know, he's, he's agnostic when it comes to the deist God or the notion of some, some vague notion of a higher power. But when you get into claims that 2,000 years ago, someone rose from the dead in you know, ancient Palestine, or that um, Muhammad rode up into the night sky on a magical horse, and, uh, or that uh, the angel Moroni came in... Um, upstate New York and revealed himself to, uh, to Joseph Smith. When you get into that stuff that we start saying, this sounds like a lot of BS, man, you know, or maybe at the best, maybe at best, you know, some of the biblical stories, um, have a certain symbolic or literary beauty or allure to them. But to me, when religious claims really start to seem ugly is when people take them literally. Like, I think the Epic of Gilgamesh is this kind of strange, beautiful ancient story. You know, the scholars think that it was the inspiration for the latter biblical flood narrative, the Noah story. And as mythology, the Epic of Gilgamesh, or in the case of the biblical version, the idea of some noble figure who is chosen by some divine power and miraculously survives this global deluge. Uh, it's, it's kind of charming in a certain way, but when you move into literal belief, uh, literal belief that the creator of the universe didn't like how some of his creations were behaving, so he assumes the role of grand genocider, floods the earth, killing almost all animal life. And uh, we humans, of course, are technically animals, but I'll say, you know, human and animal life. Except for, you know, what can fit on this boat. <laughs> and uh, 
And, and then how how did Noah deliver the marsupials to Australia? How did he visit all the how did all the different animals get to the different continents? Well, it's a made up story. At least that's what I think. And and if you take the the story of the the fall in the garden, literally, once again, God really comes off like an ogre, this figure who because two people ate the wrong kind of fruit, curses all ensuing generations to have to suffer and die and be born into quote-unquote original sin. Uh, This is really ugly stuff. So the Bible as literature, some of the stories can be inspirational or they have a certain kind of merit to them. But other parts of the Bible are filled with kind of these archaic prescriptions uh, about who should be killed for what, picking up uh, sticks on the Sabbath, or for being a witch, or for being a disobedient child, um, or for adultery. And uh, there's also horrific examples of unjustifiable violence in the Bible. For example, the case of Moses and the Amalekites, and of course, the book of Joshua. And there's all sorts of interesting takes on the book of Joshua that apologists have that seem to try to make the violence seem more palatable or more excusable, up to and including this notion that I think some hold that the whole book of Joshua or the violence in it might be meant as a kind of dream sequence, (laughs) something that never happened. Whether or not that idea holds water or is mainstream, I I don't know. But when you start to take the stuff literally, that's when it really comes off as as vulgar and ugly to me. Um, How did I even get on this? Oh, I I remember now. It's about being, you know, the overlap between agnosticism and atheism and uh, how myself, and I think even, you know, a high-profile atheist like Victor Stanger, for example, as I was saying, you know, we can be somewhat flexible or somewhat agnostic on the question of a higher power in general. We may have our doubts, but we can't empirically prove or disprove it, you know, definitively. Um, But when you start talking about people rising from the dead, uh, a global flood during which two of every animal were fit on one boat, and, uh, well, depending on, that's one of those doublets, there's two back-to-back versions of the flood narrative in the Old Testament, and they differ on the amount of animals brought aboard the ark. And this is an atheist propaganda. Uh, ask, uh, you know, ask your local priest or seminary student or whatever if they know what doublets are and ask them about the contradictions in the Bible. There's two versions of creation back-to-back. There's two different versions of the flood narrative. As I was just saying, even biblical scholars use the term synoptic gospels, uh, meaning from the Greek, meaning to see alike. So even believing Christians, learned believing Christians, theologians, Christian apologists, etc., realize that the gospel accounts differ. The Bible is not free of contradictions. The Old and New Testament are anthologies written by different written by various authors. Even the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, differ on some things. 
And then you have John, which just really has a different feel to it, which, as I always like to bring up, has Jesus dying on a different day. So in, in John, Jesus isn't eating a Paschal meal. In a sense, he is the Paschal meal. John has Jesus die on a different day, most likely because he wants to symbolically portray him as the Paschal lamb who dies for the sins of the world. So... Yeah, if you, I can be somewhat agnostic on the idea of a higher power, even though I'm doubtful. But if you want me to believe in people rising from the dead, people riding into the sky on magical horses, global floods, etc., etc., then you're going to have to show me some empirical evidence. You know what I mean? That's when my atheism starts to move towards hard atheism. But I think it was T.H. Huxley, a man who was known as Darwin's bulldog or something like that, who supposedly coined the term agnostic, and it was meant to be, uh, I think Pendulette referred to it as a weasel word. It was meant to be a more palatable substitute for, uh, for atheist, I guess, at least uh, according to Pendulette and his take on Darwin and Huxley. Yeah, but it really is sad that in a sense, and I don't mean to sound like I'm whining, but people are punished for having a rational worldview. It's not that we're saying we know with 100% certainty that there is no God. It's that we're saying there's a dearth of evidence, especially for the faith claims of specific man-made, all-to-man-made religions. And actually, let me pause for a moment to address a criticism. I have a very good friend, I'll give them a bit of a shout-out, named Todd, who's uh, very supportive of the show and who, as far as I can tell, listens to just about every episode. And uh, I'm actually very grateful uh, and want to thank them. But they did have a criticism. Uh, they said that uh, a couple episodes back that they were getting annoyed at the way, like a broken record, I kept repeating the phrase man-made religion. Um, and I think they're trying to make the point that, duh, obviously religions are man-made. And as I explained to them, the point I was trying to make, what I mean by man-made religion, I mean, obviously we know that the earthly systems, the bureaucracy, etc., are, even if you're a believer, you know, you know, these are man-made systems made up of human beings. But I think there's a lot of believers out there who think that, their faith began with some sort of divine revelation, that their holy book is the revealed word of God. And so when I say religion is man-made, I mean just that. I don't think that there's any divine agency that communicated the words of the text to the authors. Uh, I don't think the angel Gabriel, for instance, uh, recited the Quran to Muhammad, uh, you know, so, so I think that from bottom up, this is all man-made stuff. This is all the invention of the human mind. No divine revelation. And I actually posted this Patheos article to the Weekend Out Facebook page, and it got uh, a lot of views. And... Along with the article, I also posted a comment, and I wrote, As presumptuous as it may sound, my guess is that there's a lot of people out there who are technically atheists, or at least agnostic atheists, and don't even realize it. And, uh, and, and that might sound arrogant or presumptuous to some at face value who don't know 
what I'm trying to get at. And it's that, that I think people do have a misunderstanding of how at least atheists themselves use the term atheist. There is that little bit of overlap with agnosticism, and and most of us aren't so conceited that we would claim to know with 100% certainty that there is no higher power. We're just doubtful. Um, so there might be people out there who either don't think about religion or the God question much, just go about their everyday kind of secular lives. So they might not stop to really think about it, but technically they might be atheists, even though they don't actively identify as atheists. Then as the article pointed out, you know, there might be a lot of cultural Christians, people who, heck, I'm recording this on Easter, uh, you know, people who might not necessarily be devout believers or necessarily literally believe in the specific faith claims of the religions they were born into, but they still get together with their families on these quote-unquote religious holidays, or they might go to church for the sake of a spouse, etc., etc. But yeah, I, I love the holidays, and I look forward to them, including Easter. And uh, Christians probably won't like to hear this, but I especially enjoy the pagan associations. And that's not me thumbing my nose at Christianity, at least not completely. <laughs> you know, it has to do, once again, and this brings things around to what I was talking about at the top of the show, has to do with my love of folklore and mythology and ancient history, etc. So, once again, to reiterate, there could be a lot of people who go to church for the sake of a spouse, as I was just saying, or just because it's what they've always done, um who still get together and celebrate the holidays, maybe even attend church on Easter or something, but either don't really otherwise think a lot about God, or they may even have their doubts, but they don't consider themselves atheists. Or there could be people out there who kind of like to think of themselves as agnostic. You know, they might have their doubts about the faith claims of specific religions. Um, they might have some doubts to whether or not a god or an afterlife exists, but because they leave the door open a little to the possibility, they, they consider themselves agnostic and not atheist. Well, in a sense, those people could be termed atheists as well. You don't believe in the faith claims of man-made religions. You're not convinced that there's an afterlife or a creator but you're smart or humble enough to know that you can't disprove those things definitively, uh, despite your doubts. So those, those people, to me, would be atheists, too. And of course, you know, there's a difference between explicit atheism and implicit atheism. Um, babies have to be taught a belief in God. So in a sense, babies are born into implicit atheism. Uh, animals are implicitly atheistic, you know what I mean? Uh... I think there's probably even a lot of religious people out there who want to believe or try to convince themselves to believe and who get, you know, aggressive or defensive if you challenge their religious beliefs. But they might get aggressive and defensive because underneath it all, even they have their doubts. So even they may be harboring a certain kind of atheism, um, like it or not. So, yeah, so I think it's true that there probably are a lot more people out there who are technically atheists than people tend to think. And some people commented on my post 
And here's, I don't know if he minds me reading his name on the air on the show, uh, Eric J. Stone, um, a, a good friend of mine that I grew up with, and uh, we used to be in a uh, band together, very talented guitarist, very smart guy. Uh, and he says, I always wonder how many politicians fake their religiousness just to get votes. I suspect we've had several atheist presidents. And I replied, there might be one in the White House right now. Not that he strikes me as a thoughtful person, but he might be atheistic in the sense that he probably doesn't really give a shit about religion or the God question. And then uh, Joe Pugsley from Voice of Doom replies, I think Obama is slash was an atheist. I reply, I've thought about that too. It's definitely a possibility. And Joe Pugsley uh, replies again, I agree. Doubters, no. People who doubt but don't invest in following through to a conclusion for whatever reasons. And yeah, I think that's true. People who, there's a lot of people out there who have their doubts, but either because they're afraid of being stigmatized or they think the term is, is too loaded, they don't refer to themselves as atheists. Or maybe they're under the misconception, like I was for years and years, that even if you have strong doubts, you have to know, you know, with 100% certainty that there is no God to, or think you know with 100% certainty, to qualify as an atheist. When, as I said, there is technically kind of an overlap between agnosticism and atheism. Um, or, or at least often there is. But before editing, I'm pushing the 40-minute mark. So here's hoping when I go back and edit that um, my half an hour or more of rambling proves to be somewhat coherent. Oh yeah, one more thing before I go. That episode I released recently where I read a few chapters from that unfinished book that led me to want to start the podcast, that originally was just the final part of like a two-hour-long episode that was meant to be just this kind of bonus content. I had released an episode earlier in that week, and just so there wasn't a lapse in the release of content, I wanted to offer some kind of bonus material. So I recorded myself for like two hours uh, while I was drinking uh, Bacardi 151, uh, talking about everything, <laughs> some personal stuff, like everything from Facebook to uh, recent online video game experiences to retelling the harrowing uh, tale of uh, my rhinoplasty. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it was kind of wild. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with all that extra material. I might go back and edit it and release it as either a future episode or as uh, bonus content for Patreon contributors. Uh, I'll keep you guys up to speed on that. But with that being said, uh, thanks for listening, guys. You know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. Please follow the show on Twitter. Uh, please check out the YouTube channel. If you do check out the YouTube channel, please uh, like and subscribe. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can do so by using the PayPal widget on the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, uh, once again, thank you.